nobody's perfect. There was never a perfect person around. You just got half devil and half angel in you. Welcome to Movie Victory. You're you're listening to Movie Victory with your host David Victory. What you were just listening to was from the film Days of Heaven. Um, just a just a little bit of our narrator in that um, classic film, telling us just uh, just taking a moment in time um, during the film doesn't really speak to the film at all but um if you haven't watched that film yet then i don't know you're listening to the wrong podcast <laughs> i don't know i don't know if there's podcasts out there that like you listen to to get recommendations for films this is not that podcast you need to have watched the film coming in and um otherwise i don't i don't know what you're doing here um but welcome to movie get victory <laughs> and um i'm your host david victory this is the only scientific um, based review podcast out there so that not only will we break down the film um, for you in um, very specific details that take a long time but we're also give each film a scientific review and you know how you can't argue with science um, like Andrew Como has told us over and over again respectable governor that he is I'm, I'm just trying to date the podcast uh, alright and um with me, who's been surprisingly quiet this whole time, we got our um, our listener our listener host, which we've decided on his official title, the listener host, um, Huey JPEG. Um, this is a film that he seen has seen several times, um, three or four times Thank recently. You, well, well. <laughs> yeah, first, um, I thank you for not playing a Will Smith based episode during the opening. I know that was hard, and you know. You didn't. You still wanted to play it, but I'm glad you didn't. Well, uh, I I don't like the title listener host. Uh, I would re- I prefer guest. Okay, so. that's news to me. So, I mean, we had that whole hour and a half conversation about this, and you did sign that form that I gave you that showed your title would now be. If you Listener look host. at that form, you will see that I actually signed it with the word void. So, I, th- uh, I mean, uh, someone signed it with the word void. So, I don't think that's a legally binding contract. Well, I don't know if you know this, but your signature has been void for quite a while now, legally. So, I didn't really, that's true, I didn't really think that was anything strange. I mean, that's how you've signed everything. You, Fun fact, if you write void on a receipt where your signature goes, it won't go through. You won't it won't go to your debit or credit card. That receipt is then void. Uh, and most people, whether it's um, a restaurant or a retail outlet, do not look when they when you sign. So just write the word void and uh, you don't have to pay for anything. Have you seriously done this before? Trick, tricks of the trade. I'm just, I just can imagine that that retailer would call me because they have my phone number if I paid with a credit card, and they would be like, um, "Did you not want to pay for this?" And you know, oh no, you got to do it in person. Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. I mean, I get that, you but like, sign the receipt. But if they, I mean, just someone who worked in retail, you go through those receipts yourself, and if there's a problem, you actually call the person. Um, I'm just curious if you've ever done why, it. Why would, my fo- why would my phone number be on the receipt? 
Well, well, I guess it goes through a couple. Th like you call the credit card company and then they call you, so it goes to, through two, two different places. Uh, I have yet to have a problem. The, if you want to find out more about this, I have a podcast about <laughs> grifting. Oh, uh, so you're just plugging Grifters, Grifters Anonymous dot pod. Liv uh, living in the void. Which I am the host, Hugh JPEG Wiki Wawa. Well, I I appreciate this fun fact. I I I don't know if it works or not. I'm not. I'm. I don't hear that you're saying that you've done it before. Try it out. Just try it. <laughs> okay. Just try it. Um, don't do it to the service industry people though. Those waiters are gonna have to no. pay for it. I mean, no, don't box do it to store waiters. box no. stores only. <laughs> Is my request to our listeners. Yeah, if large they try it. Large corporations, which they probably should. Only. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, Days of Heaven. Days of Heaven. By Terry. By Terry. By Terry Malick. Um, yeah. So this was my pick, and um, yeah, I don't. I definitely felt like it felt in the the theme. I don't know why in our podcast we've decided to go in some kind of genres. Even though I w I would say that we're both kind of. Really? I I mean I I'm not sure if it what what kind of genre this is, but all of our our recent films are definitely connected. Um, in some way, these movies are all similar. The Passenger, McCabe, Miss Miller, and um, Lover. I always forget the full title of that one. Days of Heaven. Oh, Lonely Lovers Left Alive. Lonely Lovers Left Alive, which I would say right. kicked well, off. Well, they're all Yeah, kicked off. I think the Lonely Lovers kicked it off. Because what did we do before that? Oh, we did. Oh, but Wings of Desire fits in this category, too, I think. A little bit. Uh, a little, yeah. yeah, I would say Wings of Desire is more of that philosophy, I guess, our first categories we went to, which was movies about the afterlife, I guess, kind of loosely, mm -hmm. like, because we did Seven mm -hmm. Seal. Yeah, so this is, this doesn't, even though this movie is religious, I would, and does reference heaven in the title, but I wouldn't call it a movie mm -hmm. about the afterlife at all. Um, about the life here on Earth, for sure. Um, yes. So I saw this movie in high school... I'm pretty sure no no i didn't i saw it when i was about that age the first terrence malick movie i saw was badlands and which i loved same and um which i also saw in high school yeah did we take the same like high school film class film is literature yeah film is literature class. yeah did yeah. you do a movie yeah I, i'm curious about what your movie was i remember that that was a really fun class i i took film is literature in 10th grade and then was very bummed out that he the teacher gave me a C and so I took it again in 11th grade to sort of despite him and uh, and he gave me a B so triumph triumph is what, ha is what happened there I don't remember uh, what I, I did make a movie the movie's hard he made I you did. do storyboards which I feel like he was dissatisfied yeah. with my storyboards I did do a movie it was called it was a comedy. It was called Squirrel Nuts. And me and a friend, uh, it starts with us hoarding nuts for the winter. And then a squirrel, who was played by a stuffed animal squirrel, steals our nuts. And we spend the next 15 minutes of the short film chasing the squirrel uh, and going through very absurd situations where at one point we play him in poker for the nuts a lot of 
scatological humor. It got cut down, actually. He edited our 15-minute film to about eight minutes, and he cut out all the dirty jokes. He edited it? Mm-hmm. He edited, actually, both my films both times I took it uh, and cut it down because I had, you know, scatological humor and sort of was really towing the line to see what I could get away with. And he actually cut down my film before he played it. He censored it because he didn't want to get in trouble as a teacher before he showed it to the class without telling me and just showed, just showed an edited version. And I was like, oh, both times. How did you submit it that he could even edit it easily? VHS. It was on a VHS tape. Or on a, it was on a DV tape and I transferred it to VHS at the time. This was the early 2000s. Because mine was on a DVD and he did not edit it. I don't, I don't know how he could have. I don't think he would have been able to. Yeah. Right now, I guess I was just thinking it's like... Because I guess that is problematic as a teacher. Like, you have everybody making their own videos. You don't know what's going on. Yeah, I, I have a strong mm-hmm. role in my class. I don't show anything I haven't seen before. That's just opening sure. yourself up for problems. Um, but, okay. I was just curious. That, I thought that was a great class. Um, regardless, it was a great class. Regardless, I, I might have gotten a lot of great movies. But, yeah, he did. Yeah. He, he did um, introduce me to Terrence Malick. It was, and it was the first. I think it was the first time I saw Citizen Kane, too. I think both of those films was in that class. I think he played Citizen Kane when I took it. Because he, he changed the syllabus every semester that he taught it. That makes sense. Because it was slightly different the second time I took it. Did he? I remember he did The Fugitive with Harrison Ford. He did that one like with his, us. Yeah, it was like his opening movie. Yep. He did. Uh, he did Annie Hall, which, which is startling. I think when you think about it, to show a bunch of tenth graders. Um, is Annie yeah, Hall Annie, like rated R? I don't. I'm like, what, is there anything problematic I don't in think it? So, no. I mean, there's talk of sex, but it's never vulgar. You know. Um, he but did. I remember. I remember being the only one in class that laughed really hard a couple different times, and I think I got, like, extra credit for that day. For laughing? Because <laughs> yeah. there's, there's, a, there's a crazy line in Annie Hall that really gets slips by where he's, he's on a date with, I think, Shelley Duvall, and she's asking if he went to the Bob Dylan concert, and he's like, no, 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 um... My my raccoon my raccoon had hepatitis, and she goes, "You you have a raccoon?" And he goes, "A few." And it's just the most absurd. Like I just wasn't expecting it. Oh, and I burst yeah. out laughing. My raccoon had hepatitis, and I I still think that line is hysterical. There is something really f- like funny about like early Woody Allen stuff, the absurdness and the delivery of mm-hmm. everything. I feel, I still think to this day, one of my funniest, like just th- thinking of like something really funny in film is the, um, I think it's in take the, Mo- the money and run where he does the bank robbery scene and he, and he can't like no, read the note. He's like, I have a gun. And the woman's like, you have a nug. I can't understand. <laughs> like He's like, this uh-huh. is a, this is a hold up, but he's like whispering and they, they can't understand him. So like everybody comes around to like read the note and they're like, well, it actually doesn't say gun here. And, and he's just like, but you are robbing mm-hmm. us. So we're going to arrest you. And then he, he goes to jail and that's how the, that's how, that's how the movie starts. And I just thought yeah. that I, I guess that for me i feel like i've always been like an idea like i'll just laugh at ideas i find hysterical and the idea yeah. of like trying to rob a place and them like not understanding you and that being the reason you <laughs> couldn't rob them i'm just like it's got to be one of the funniest yeah. ideas yeah it's funny mm-hmm. um 
I mean, this is why he even has a joke when he later mostly did, like, dramas and, you know, stuff, where he says, like, people like the early funny ones. Oh, yeah, and, um... Stardust Memories. Stardust Memories, yeah, where he does that. Yeah, yeah. which is definitely early just, like, ones. his nine-and-a-half movie. I'm like, in a lot of ways, that eight movie... Eight-and-a-half, yeah. thank you. Yeah, but in a lot of ways, it's, like, just him doing a version of eight-and-a-half, but... Right. He actually, there's another great joke about that, where he says he, he wanted to call the movie Four... Oh. Because it wasn't half as good it wasn't as eight half. And half. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I believe it. Uh, but, but um, yeah. Anyway, anyway, anyway we. I like that class. I think he. I think we probably might have saw, seen Annie Hall in that class. That's that's actually Annie Hall is interesting, which I didn't know about it. But that was a movie that was like four hours that got edited down to like what we see, which mm-hmm. is I think is an hour and a half, similar to Days of well, Heaven. Yeah, it was apparently much more of a. A drama, yeah. And he sort of edited it down and, and sort of fucked with the timeline until it was just you know this now classic comedy. Um, yeah. Which in a lot of ways, this film um, took famously took Malik two years to edit because he just threw out the script apparently when he was shooting this film and um, just kind of shot stuff and then um, that's why it took so long to edit. Right. Um, which is and ended up being the hallmark of his career, and why many actors don't work with him a second time. Yeah, because he he gives them. I mean, I think it was Sean Penn that said that Tree of Life was the best script he ever read, and then none of it was in the movie. And Sean Penn was had a really good part in Tree of Life, supposedly that got cut out. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was the main character. He was the adult version of the main kid, yeah. the, the oldest son. I don't know if it's what it is exactly, but I definitely thought I really loved Terrence Malick. But at the same time, I really dislike a lot of the tropes of his films. I guess the the lack of clear story, the the need of narrators in all of his films. Like he almost needs a narrator to bring stuff together, which I personally do not like in films. Like if you have to use narration, I feel like that almost is a negative. Yeah. I like the unreliable narrator in Badlands and Days of Heaven. But I like both like, Bad. I still like Badlands. Day. I, don't get me wrong. I still think these are great films, even though I don't think they're as good as I did. I think when I first saw them. But yeah, they are unreliable. Yeah. Yeah, they're unreliable narrators. The the two young women that narrate his first two movies. I mean, I really don't like any Malick movie after Tree of Life. Although I haven't seen Voyage of Time because I, I want to see it in IMAX, but I, I love the New World. I, I did we see the New oh, World? Of the, the New World I yeah. love. I love that one. New I, World is my favorite. New World. It might be better than Days. I'll have to rewatch it because I did not. This last watch of Days of Heaven, I I liked it. I really enjoyed it, but I definitely was like mm-hmm. New World. I feel like does a better version of the story. It's you know? Way up there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I also prefer the New World for sure. Um, but there's different versions of New World, which is like, I think New World is, actually, no, probably Thin Red Line is where Malik became, like, annoying to everyone. And I didn't love Thin like, Red Line, which a lot of people did. I I was okay. I was just, a, yeah, that's kind of where, but that's another one I'll have to revisit, because I don't know. I don't know. I, yeah. It was, uh, it was I, kind of boring. I don't plan yeah. to, re, I don't plan to revisit it uh, anytime soon, but... Um, I mean, it's also like three hours long, but I mean, that's the one where he famously, uh, Adrian Brody was the main character and then he 
completely cut him out of the movie without telling him. It was Adrian Brody's like first big premiere, and it just seems inconsiderate and weird to not tell the person who was the main actor in the script. I completely cut you out of the movie except for five minutes because I thought that Jim Cavazil's uh, story was you know more human or whatever his reasoning was. Uh, but that's another one where it was like five or six hours long initially, and he cut it down to like three. Um, but yeah, New World, you know, the version we saw in the theater is very different from the version most people see now. Really? Yeah, you can tell because there's, in the one that people typically see, like on the DVD, I think the Criterion has both versions. Uh, but the one you typically see is the slightly longer extended cut that has chapter markers. And the one we saw, the theatrical cut, did not have chapter markers. And I think flows a lot better uh, than the final version, which is clunky. Uh, I still like both versions, but... That was one I probably saw twice in the theater at least. Um, and then, like, got it when it was on DVD or whatever and, and watched it again. But who, I, who knows? I probably wasn't paying attention as much... Um, as I did initially. It is a movie, I guess that movie and this movie present worlds that <laughs> there is no God. That's why I've decided to start telling people instead of bless you. Um, uh-huh. uh, but Oh yeah, it says here, um, actually this is, an, I didn't know this, on the Criterion there's the 172 minute, there's the almost three hour extended cut, which has the uh, the chapter markers, unlike the other one. And there's the 135-minute theatrical cut, uh, which is the one we initially saw, which I think is the better version, which I remember having a hell of a time when there was just a DVD before it was um, on Criterion, like trying to, I tried to track it down because I was so dissatisfied with the DVD when it finally came out. But it says here on the Criterion one, there's also a 150-minute first cut of the film, which I've never seen. I feel like this is one I've looked for on Criterion, and it's expensive. This film, Days of Heaven on Criterion, is expensive. Um, I had to get out my old DVD of this and watch it. Um, it says the Blu-ray is forty bucks. Oh, it also says it's out of print. It says it's on back order. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't find a price for the Criterion one on Amazon when I looked this week because I was thinking, I was like, you know, if it's twenty bucks, maybe I'll buy it. You know, and maybe there's a commentary for on Days it. Days of Heaven or New World. Days of Heaven. Okay, it looks like the Blu-ray is on Amazon for like 35 bucks. For New World. For New World. Okay. Yeah. No, I haven't looked for New World for a while. Yeah, now I am kind of like, should I buy New World while it's available? Well, if only to rewatch the, the other version, because I do think it's better. Yeah. Yeah, it says it's it says Days of Heaven is currently unavailable. Weird. 35 bucks. Oh. That's still pretty expensive for a movie. I don't know. I'm going to think about it. Used in new for Yeah, but 25. it's three different versions of the movie, if you think of it that way. That's true. Anyway, Days of Heaven. I agree. We both agree New World is the best Malik. Yeah. Uh, surprised. I'm maybe... surprised. I don't know how many other people would agree with that. Oh, I, I've thought that since the day that I first, we first saw it. But it was also the first Malik I saw, saw in the theater. theater. Yeah, that was, that was both so of was, us. Yeah. It was special. And then I saw... Tree of Life in the theater. I actually took my grandma to see Tree of Life, and there's like a, there's like an ongoing unspoken contest in our family that no one can take my grandma to a movie that she likes. 
like she always like it's always too violent or too sexy and she wants to leave and she sat all the way through tree of life and everyone was amazed that i i <laughs> picked the movie when i was in town i was like oh we should go see tree of life you know because it has like oh it's like 1950s it has this christian thing that's right up grandma's alley uh and she just loved it and i was so pleased but yeah and then i saw to the wonder when it came out a very like under the radar came out in new york very disappointing I don't know if you ever saw that one. Oh, I get the titles confused. I saw, like, two later Maliks recently, but I would have to look mm-hmm. at the titles to remember what they were. Yeah, uh, there's there's To the Wonder with Ben Affleck. There's Knight of Cups. Knight of with, Cups um, I watched. Christian Bale. And then the worst one, which I didn't watch until quarantine, is Song to Song with Fassbender and Ryan Gosling. And I like to refer to it as the trilogy of mediocrity. <laughs> okay. Um, or, or if I'm being really rude, like, the bloated trilogy. Because they're all the same movie. You could literally just, like, put the different scenes from those three movies on shuffle, and it would be almost indistinguishable, except for the actors. They're the same movie. It's the same style, it's the same tone. And you know that I don't care when plot is irrelevant. Right. But the way Malik did it in those three movies, I think, is pretty obnoxious. And, and just sort of undigestible after a certain scent, at a certain point. I must have seen To the Wonder 2. Yeah, this is the Ben Affleck one. I think I thought this one yeah. was okay. Yeah, but I get what you're saying. They, to, the like Wonder, to the Wonder, Knight's Cup, and Tree of Life all felt very similar to me, you know. I would put mm-hmm. Tree of Life in that category, too, because it was also, like, sequences of just relationships of people over a long time span with narration. That was it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like... Something that happened around that time, for a long time, Malik was really mysterious, and he went, like, ten years or more without making a movie, right? I think it was 20, think, like, 20 years, I think is his... Yeah, like, 20 years between Days of Heaven and Thin Red Line, Yeah, right? it is, 1978 then, to 1998, so 20 years exactly. Yeah. And did you know he went and taught philosophy in Europe during that time? Yes. I think you have told me that, and I've read it on Wikipedia, yeah. so... Yeah, he's also, like, he translated Heidegger and stuff, so... I mean, the guy knows what he's doing, but it doesn't mean it's fun to watch anymore. But yeah, I think he hit a peak with New World, even though a lot of the people that have worked, like Christopher Plummer in New World, said that he was very annoyed that he had this like great speech, and then in the final cut, you can just hear him making the speech in the background, like he became background noise, and was apparently just infuriated by Malik's whole process. But yeah, after that point, what's interesting is, like, Tree of Life did something really unique, and it was this, like, oh my god, this is a new style of cinema. This is, like, its own very particular type of, like, cinematic poem, whatever you want to call it. And he did something really cool, which I was, I loved Tree of Life when I saw it. I went and saw it in the theater, you know, two or three times. I had already seen it when I took my grandma to see it, you know? Um, It wasn't, like roulette i like new i think she'll like this but yeah there was something interesting there was something unique and like new and fresh about it and then he just repeated the same thing four times in a row which is why i think tree of life is like this weird like separate thing because it's like the first time he kind of pulled that off and i think it's the best the only good one where he pulled that off and then he just repeated himself three times in a row and each one i think just gets worse 
what did you think of Boyhood? I guess and I guess that's the other film I think of in this this that type of category of I'm gonna try to capture all of life and put it in a film. I would say Boyhood yeah. does it in a very different way. Yeah, well, Richard Linklater is a very different kind of director, right? You know, you know. I mean, him and well, him and Malik are are really. You know, they're both from Austin, Texas, or they both live there. I I did and know that. Yes, Linklater even said he compared himself to Malik at one point, and he said something like, "You know, someone like Terry Malik's a perfectionist, and he looks back on a movie he made forty years ago, and he goes, oh, I wish I would have done that differently.' Uh, and that's why he always re-edits his films and all this stuff." And Linklater just goes, I don't feel that way. I feel like, you know, that's where I was when I made it. I feel like I would make it the same way. Just move on and make the next one. And I think there's much more of a zen thing going on with Linklater of it is what it is. Whereas Malik is just like, never stops tinkering with shit. Well, I think that's a problem for Malik, to be honest. I think that's what mm-hmm. what ruins his later films is because he's yeah. he's too obsessed with these ideas that I, I would put him in the could have been ideas. And I feel like anyone who's a creator knows these instincts where it's like you finish something, but you're not quite happy with it. And you're at that yeah. point where you're like, I don't want to put anything out there unless it's like, you know yeah you know it's crazy good like i don't want to put it out there unless it reaches this level for me personally that is like Mm -hmm. and the the problem is that if malik gets to that point where he thinks it's that good there's no guarantee anyone else is even going to notice the difference between that and whatever he (laughs) was doing before and whatever Mm -hmm. his second and you know fifth or sixth whatever his other versions are they're in most people's mind they're not different and instead i would say he's obsessing with things that are just later in the process like he got into a story more and he's like oh i think what this is kind of an interesting idea so you're just getting getting probably a worse version of the final product Mm -hmm. than his second or third draft would have been you know probably second or third draft publish it you're good you know but at the same time it worked with days of heaven so you know what do we know you know yes it did work Um, with days of heaven you can't argue with that's because like that's the first time that he does it but days of heaven is short is an hour and a half and if he cut these other one down to an hour and a half maybe you know what and compared to the the bloated mediocrity trilogy uh it's actually not even mediocre is generous just the bloated trilogy uh days of heaven is insanely plot driven it's like nothing. It's like a very oh. dense oh, yeah. and, and consistent compared plot. to like compared Nights, to his Nights of stuff. Cup or Tree of Life. Yeah, hundred percent. Yes, yeah. And that's what I would say works well with Days of Heaven and 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 um, the Badlands too. It's that we have this very constrained story that lives in a time and place where these other films. It's like some suddenly someone told him it's like. Well, you could actually just tell the entire life of someone. You don't have to just mm-hmm. tell one story. And he's like, oh, i got to do that in each movie. I can't just have movies with a simple story. I need to encompass their entire existence. You know? <laughs> right. right. Uh, and, and, but, and somehow the way he does that is I'm going to include the moment when a butterfly flew into the room and the actor happened to look at it. Uh, like, I think some actor said that his Malick's style has become hunting for accidents. That's what, and it's just like yeah. you film for eleven hours that day, and he ends up using twelve seconds, and it's when you like tripped over a twig. <laughs> you know? um, I, be- I believe it. Yeah, 
Yeah. And I wonder I wonder if that's actually why we prefer the New World cuz New World is kind of on the cusp of I was just early th- it Malick does, and later Malick. It does both though. It has a big story, but it does tell yeah. it it's like within a year instead of an entire mm-hmm. lifetime of someone right. the New World. Yeah, we get the the story which is I guess a real problematic story because it doesn't happen at all like he presents or whatever whoever that um John Smith I mean there's jo- a lot of there's a there's a lot of historical accuracy but, uh, but it's based on journals and stuff. Well, jo- John Smith was a notorious liar. Like, none of the accounts of him and, like, Pocahontas wasn't even the same age when that happened, and basically she was a slave, and, like, it's it's really... It's a, I didn't know any of that. It's really dark. Yeah, a lot of... The story that gets told is from John Smith's diaries, um, and he's a known liar. So I'll just, tell, I'll just tell you that. Do your own research, but that's what's going on. And this, it's like basically when we get stories from Washington Irving and you're like, oh, that's where Christopher Columbus' story comes from. It comes from a guy who's just trying to sell a, sto- a book, you know. <laughs> and you're like, oh, that's why that's a problem. Um, right. But I think that's actually why it works because that, not that narrative, but that myth of white man falling in love with the native, beautiful romance that myth of these two worlds colliding via love is already so ingrained in the culture that it's like, it's almost as if Malik doesn't have to tell the story. You do get to just watch the lovely little intimate moments. And that's why that movie is on such an interesting cusp of early, more plot-driven stuff and later more, like, ephemeral stuff. And it's just, like, the perfect balance of both of those. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of wish he would go back. I wish he would double back and boomerang into, you know, what the early stuff was. But I don't think he will. I think he's just a crazy rich man at this point and, like, is just going to do whatever he wants for the rest of his life. Which is fine. You know, good on him. You know, he he figured it out. He gets to do whatever he wants uh, and gets paid. He would benefit but, from somebody just kind of checking in with him. And, you know, he, he needs a studio producer giving him more more boundaries personally he would benefit from a script Uh, or at least sticking to the script yeah it sounds like he writes good scripts and just doesn't use them Mm -hmm. um and i think that frustrates a lot of actors who learn their lines and then he tells them you're not going to say any of them just like he said in new world apparently to colin farrell they rehearsed these lines with pocahontas over and over and over again and then when they got to shoot that day for that sequence he was like just say it with your eyes (laughs) all of it like that's in that's kind of, it's an interesting acting exercise but it must be infuriating you know and so i especially I when you're not talking Malik, to children it's like it's it's it sounds like he teaches the actors probably like his students when he's a teacher and, I, right. and, sh- and i'm sure he goes home and he's like i just blew their minds and they're just like that yeah. idiot you just just told me well, to 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 have you know, to write the play in my mind and then turn it in mm-hmm. you know but whatever. i mean you yeah, know he it, also passes out uh, like oblique strategies. Do you know? Do you know Brian Eno's oblique strategies? Mm-mm, no. Where it's like it's just like a set of cards with like weird little like coens and and like poetic phrases on them, and he, he'll like give them to the guitarist or the drummer, and he'll be like, "Okay, here's your oblique strategy for the day," and it's just some vague like fortune cookie type wisdom. But apparently, Malik does this. Like I forget which actor showed up on I think Night of Cups. And Terry Malick just comes over like he's in a dream and hands this guy a note card. And the note card says, there's no such thing as a fireproof wall. 
And the guy's like, is this, is this my line of dialogue? And Malik's just like, no, it's just something to think about. Something to think about. And then he about. just turned around and handed it, and then he just handed a different one to someone else. And so, I mean, this guy is, he's a child. He's a, he's a, he's reached that point where an old man becomes a baby again, and people are letting him make movies. <laughs> I would say, you know, yeah, but that childness, I guess we've, we've talked a lot of negatively. Let's switch to the positive. I would say that childness and mm-hmm. love for nature is what I really respond to in this film and why the yes. first time I saw it, I put it ahead of Badlands almost immediately because mm-hmm. there was just this, this um, undeniable love of nature in this film and you feel it and from every shot like whatever the scene is um we we are living in the moment and we are living one with nature in this film and um you know i just it made me want to go outside i was actually i went Mm -hmm. for a run afterwards and i was just like i'm gonna i'm gonna make sure to hit the woods and the trails today because i just want to be out Mm. you know by the grass maybe 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 i'll take a cue and like just grab some dirt and just throw it around and look at Mm -hmm. it and then i took some pictures and so it it is a film for me that if you don't love nature maybe you wouldn't see why people like it um but for me Mm -hmm. it is kind of like just a film about and to add on to nature i would say that time in your life when you don't know it's your day of heaven maybe but it is you know Mm -hmm. that those moments that kind of slip by us that were living our best lives and um if only we just kind of realized it and embraced the moment a little bit more and the the halcyon years the idyllic thing and i think you're absolutely right i don't i know i can talk a lot of shit i think a lot of people talk a lot of shit about later malik movies and i wonder if it's because they are so frustrated because the first half of his career is so wonderful yeah and then each one after just seems lackluster and it's like man what are you doing Really, um, you could just... He also had, like, such a reputation... Like, his reputation in the industry was... He was this mythic figure before, like, Thin Red... Like, when Thin Red Line was announced, everyone was like, oh, my God. You know, for those that weren't alive in 1989, those of us that knew that Terrence Malick existed and he had these two perfect movies, it was amazing that the, that he was even going to do it. It's been, it had been 20 years. And then whatever it was, you know, eight years later, New World, and... But yeah, I agree that the nature and the sort of like, you know, those like macro lenses on the bugs and stuff. Yeah, that's it's one of the reasons that you can get swept up in it and enjoy it so much. And we haven't talked too much about Days of Heaven, but <laughs> I know but I know scene that I it's a hard movie to talk about, isn't it? It's like it kind of is. It's like we could, I didn't take very many notes. We could go I, through I the plot, myself. but it's kind of like I feel like, yeah, no, you you want to talk. I guess the only thing I was going to say is like. This is the Days of Heaven movies that anybody should see who hasn't. You should see Badlands. You should see Days of Heaven. You should see Thin. You should see New World. You should see New World and the Thin Red Line and Tree of Life just to get those those different styles he did, and then just stop. I yeah. feel like those and well, I, that that trajectory is right. so interesting too. Yeah, those are like, the you can really see his growth as an artist, and then it plateaus. Right. After Tree of Life, and it's all the same. It's all the same after that. Yeah, but um, but anyway, did you, yeah. actually, did you see his? Just out of curiosity, did you see his newest one called A Hidden Life about the 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 Nazi um, defactor, the guy who refused to fight for Germany? No, I feel like I really wanted to see it and I didn't. I've heard it. Was, I heard it was better. It is better. Well, because it has a story. 
It's the okay. exact same style of the swooshy camera and like the the swelling strings. It's the same fucking thing as the last four movies, but it's more grounded in a story. And so, oh, I should see it then. You know, I should give it a it's, chance. Yeah, it's okay. Um, Days of Heaven. <laughs> One thing that I really like, I'll, I'm just gonna jump to like the middle of the movie. Sure, we is talking for a long we time when we haven't really discussed yeah. it that much <laughs> no um well maybe I'll, I'll wait um should we talk about the plot at all here i'll do a i'll do a very short version a of what, okay. okay you know you know, basically in this story you have these characters that are migrant workers they're traveling from time from place to place um to find work and then um in a strange biblical reference, we have a character who are boyfriend, girlfriend, but they're going by brother and sister. And then inevitably the guy who owns the farm falls in love with the girl. They get married. They think it's a good idea at the time um, for money and safety reasons. But then he's like, why are you kissing your brother? And then conflict, uh, he, he dies. And then the cops chase, um, our good guy or i guess good relative but the richard gear character who's the mm-hmm. leading man chase him and then he dies and then the movie goes on for another eight minutes for some reason um and oh no i like the ending you, well that's because of the narrator okay yeah the I mean, narrator story okay we can get into more but like yeah the movie goes on a little bit and you see the the characters um split apart the little girl kind of goes off on her own while she gets dropped off into a dance studio and then um she kind of runs away from yeah then escapes at the end and that's that's the movie in a nutshell it's right it is Um, a very much like a it it, it's trying to be the bible story of of sarah and abraham or abram mm -hmm. i guess in the bible story so the brother and sister stuff is weird and it is distracting i'm like why do they need to be brother and sister why can't they just say they're boyfriend and girlfriend or just lie and say you're married i wonder if that's because uh in trying to get work maybe that that was frowned upon i mean there was plenty of married wife, couples like also work i don't know it doesn't matter. it doesn't it, it's um, it's there for the bible reference not for yeah it, same thing with the locusts right which aren't from which that bible one story, of the most but it's a great totally different it's a totally different well, no, i think there's yeah. a lot of there's Days of Heaven is biblical, but and I think you can point to different Bible stories. But he's not—he's riffing on it. He's not trying to do an adaptation of any particular. One, well, there you know? is Abraham and Sarah who were a couple that were traveling through Egypt and said they were brother and sister, and um, mm-hmm. the the Pharaoh wanted to get with Rachel, you know. And then there was the whole thing. Mm-hmm. God told the Pharaoh, "Yo, she's married." And the pharaoh was actually pretty nice about it and gave them both, like, money and resources and was like, you know, you should have told me. I would have never tried it with you otherwise. And uh, right. and that's how that story ends. So it is very much right. that story except a very different ending. Yeah, well, and a different reaction by both the male characters. I mean, one thing I noticed this rewatching is there's a real gradual build throughout the film of, like, the possessiveness of the the sister wife and and the jealousy of the main male characters like there's this really gradual bit where you see both of them becoming jealous of each other which of course reaches a fever pitch more than once um but yeah uh 
one one sequence that I think about all the time that I feel like no one talks about is so at one point he gets so jealous of the the quote unquote brother after they he she has married the farm owner and he thinks that he sees them kissing but it doesn't really look like that it's like there's, he there's sees a silhouettes silhouette, and they're like and the wind is blowing and they're kind of like he, talking too close and so theoretically it he could be wrong in that scene even right. though they probably were um, kissing. And so he, so he expresses his jealousy finally, and then being the kind of a good guy that Richard Gere is, he decides to leave. He's like, you know what, you have your, your rich husband and your nice life, right? So he dips. <clears throat> and there's a great little bit of, like, Malick dialogue, which says nothing and everything, where Richard Gere's leaving, and the farm owner, who's... Just goes, just like that, huh? And Richard goes, like, guess so. And that's it. That's all they say. But something that I really like is that after that scene, there's this really long montage of their, like, marriage. Of their, like, winter together. And, like, Richard leaves, and then you see just all these moments of, like, intimacy and security. And it shows that the landowner is, like, this really genuine, sweet guy who's dying, by the way, I don't know if we mentioned that, um, and who, who just wants to, like, spend the end of his life with someone, you know? And it's like, you can't blame him for that. And also that montage ends with, like, do you remember the time lapse of the the sprout coming up? Of course, yeah. Which is, like, classic, classic mallet. Right. Um, One of his best, using so much better as a metaphor. here than anything he did in Tree of Life that was similar, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Well, Tree of Life is the more cosmic angle. It's less. It just you know. looks more CGI and yeah. Yeah. Um, no, this is great. But yeah, that's something that I think does it kind of get. Do you remember that secret, like the winter marriage montage? Oh yeah, I mean this movie is one of my favorite parts of the movie. This is a film filled with montages, but my love for this film is seeing each season. Like I love, mm-hmm. like really. I don't even need the story. I like the music okay, but it's like you could really get rid of the narration for me. Wouldn't bother me at all. Um, the dia- yeah. the dialogue, I could take it or leave it. Like there's not a I don't I don't really respond that greatly to this dialogue. Um, I don't know if it's a combination of it was hard to understand at times and um, they're never mm-hmm. saying anything that's seemingly significant that I'm not getting from their right. body language. Um, and so I love just, for me, I loved seeing the different scenes. I love that he shoots everything with natural lighting and you can really tell and all the sequences, mm-hmm. you can really see the lighting. But the wind, how he shoots the winter sequence is just great. And and I, I was telling this to Sarah, which I have to tell you this, both my daughter, who's not two yet, really was paying attention to this film. Like, you know, she doesn't have a long attention span, but if you show something to her that's visually appealing, she pays attention. And she watched this mm-hmm. for, like, at least 20 minutes without, like, going and playing or yeah. anything because she was responding to those really strong visuals. And, um, yeah, it looks it looks amazing. And, I, I mean, and, and I, I think that's why I love this film. Um, having recently seen McCabe and Miss Miller, though, I keep comparing it in my mind with that film. I'm like, they both do the same thing where you have like a whole season somewhere. I guess, I guess this time around, I definitely like McCabe and Miss Miller better for the dialogue, really. I was like, there's so much better mm-hmm. dialogue in, in those scenes where this one, it's more 
they're just kind of living in the, these moments that are exuberant and really great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's not there's not the story there, um, even though there is a story. But I don't know how I feel about any of the characters. They all have pros and cons. <laughs> like I'm just. Yeah. I actually I really liked the the farm owner character played by Sam Shepard. He seems like a, a good guy. Yeah, Sam Shepard. He's great. Which I, he looks yeah. like Dennis Leary in this movie. I don't know why, but I kept on thinking I was <laughs> okay. like, he looks like young Dennis Leary. Yeah, but Sam Shepard is, is great, and he wrote one of the darkest Fantastic. plays I've ever read called Buried Child, which literally made mm-hmm. me like physically upset when I read it. And I, oh my God. I don't know. I was they were doing it, and I was thinking about auditioning. So I read the play, and I was like, no, I'm not auditioning. I'm not. Do not yeah, want to be around yeah. that at all. Yeah, Sam Shepard is great, um, but. Yeah, with what you're saying, the, yeah, the snow sequence was great. That montage was great. Um, the summer montages are great too. Um, when mm-hmm. I do, I do like, and this I'll give Terrence Malick credit for this in this movie, and something I don't think he did very well in his in some of his later movies, which is that he knows when to cut away. Like how many scenes cut to a mm-hmm. suggestion where you're like, oh, and they they probably made out or had sex here. Cut, you know. Like mm-hmm. there's so much. Like the scene where there's they're they're dancing right, and you see Richard Gere walk up and he sees them together, and he just turns around and leaves, and we cut. And I'm like, mm-hmm. there's so many great moments like that where he doesn't tell us what happens; he just lets you imagine. Lets you infer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's why the earlier stuff works so well, because he is, he's still teasing out the tendrils of the story, and then it's still a little elliptical. It's still moment to moment. But yeah, I think I think we agree that his first few films, the balance of of story and ephemeral, is is a better balance, right? Also, fun fact about Sam Shepard. I don't know if do you listen to Joni Mitchell? Um, yeah, I've, yeah, her music. Yes, not recently, but I've listened to the, to her main songs. <laughs> One of my favorite Joni Mitchell songs is Coyote. Okay. And it's written about it's about Sam Shepard. Oh really? Yep. I'm gonna have to re-listen to that song now. It's a great and be, song. Be like okay. Okay, cool. But yeah, Sam Shepard is great. He's great in this. I like his performance. I was much more impressed by this. You know, whatever. This is the tenth time I've seen this movie. But yeah, I really. I don't want to say I related to his character because I don't know what it's like to be a a rich farm owner that's dying. But right. I understood where he was coming from a lot more. Um, and sort of there was a lot of heart to his character that I didn't really pick up on before. Yeah, this time around, I really felt for. For Sam Shepard's character. I just really like that he was kind of my focal point for the movie. I was like, oh, I never really honed in on how he was feeling. Uh, and I think that's kind of, you know, a similar thing happens with New, New World, where like sometimes, depending on the mood I watch it, I'm like, oh man, I really feel for Christian Bale, you know? <laughs> um, and so there's, I don't know, there's like a wavelength thing with Malik where you can kind of get on one character's side or the other. I don't know how else to explain it. No, I think that's a good way. I feel like this time around, almost historically, that bothered me because I was like, this guy probably wouldn't be so... I mean, it's not saying that he couldn't be so gentle and kind, like with how he courted her and how polite he was through that mm-hmm. process. But I did just think, what, this this is the time when the, the landowner, he's got ultimate rights. Why wouldn't he just be like sexually harassing anybody that worked with him? Um, 
but well, I think that's why you still like him because he's so he's a good guy nervous yeah and he's so yeah yeah and the Pharaoh's a good guy in the Bible surprisingly right <laughs> yeah yeah and I think I think that's why I love the the winter marriage montage because he's just such a sweetheart like you can tell they really are enjoying themselves you know and I would like to see them just live out together why why does Richard Gere mm-hmm. need to come back just let, let leave him alone yeah 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 um, why does he come back? What do you What do you think he comes back? It's not even explained really. I where know, he goes. right? He well, he goes he off goes, seemingly he, with the circus. I was just like the circus people. Yeah, because I was like, oh, who flies planes? Circus people? Okay, I guess. I was, I was trying to do the well, timeline. I was like, who? When did we invent planes? How is this not more crazy that there's planes? I was like, uh-huh. I, I, well, it's a it's like a four person passenger plane, you know. Right. But um, <clears throat> there's not many people in that circus. Uh, they're just traveling performers. <clears throat> but yeah, it seems like he only goes away for winter. Like, at the end of the autumn chunk of the movie, uh, when all the other people have left, and they've been chilling at the house for a while because it's past this, the harvesting season, that's when the jealousy sort of reaches the peak of these two men vying for her attention. And then he, seemingly out of consideration, leaves. But then it's just for the winter, and by the time spring comes around, he just returns. And then, yeah, that's when everything kind of goes to shit. The locusts come back, or the locusts arrive when he comes back. And then, of course, there's murders that occur. And, yeah, we can finish this part. Like, Sam Shepard first, like, gets mad and, like, burns his own field. We see that happen. where Sort of on accident because he's swinging a lantern at Richard Gere. Yeah, at first it's on accident. And then he's like, fuck. Then he's just like, let's just burn this to the ground. (laughs) Like, you see him really get angry. What is he? Yeah, he screams, like, let it burn. Let it burn. To to all of the people that work for him. Um, But, like, that's an amazing... See, this is one of Malik's great talents is, like, I can't think of a movie on that who does something on that scale where like an actual horse and buggy is on fire and it's raging across a field causing a larger fire like you know at the end of it you see how big the fire is like how they contained that is amazing to me because that the fire sequence is a good like five to ten minutes long like I remember thinking this time around like this is much longer than I remember it's a beautiful sequence with the locusts and the fire. But, like, that's just insane cool. that they were yeah. able to just burn an entire field in a safe way, I assume. It's one of the sequences where you're like, this gets the price of a mission for me. Like, this is mm-hmm. better than so many other films. And that's why I'm like, even though I have my problems with a film like this, and I would say even some Malik movies that we've talked about that we're not as big as fans of, he does still have these moments that he just knocks it out of the park and does something in a way that no one else really has done before or could conceivably do again. Like, and I, and it is because of these happy accidents that I think he is trying to get. And I think he got a lot of them in days of heaven and, um, that fire sequence. I mean, you got to just think about like how long it takes to pro like to shoot anything, like how many takes could you do on that and still just use the natural lighting from the fire and um mm-hmm. it's it's not and, and so the night had to be a particular night I, ma- I imagine you would have had to have no clouds in the sky that night when he shot so that he could have mm-hmm. enough light maybe there was a full moon that night i don't know mm-hmm. um but yeah there had to be a lot of things going right together i still would say while we're talking about great scenes here that storm scene where you see the storm cloud you, and it shakes mm-hmm. i feel like it is one of the 
best like as far as like capturing what it feels like to be in a storm because you actually see the screen mm -hmm. shake a little bit when the when you hear the thunder mm -hmm. and it's like and i'm sure that's practical i i, I oh, yeah. i'm sure they're just yeah, yeah. out in a storm and it's like the camera shook because the ground shook when there was the thunder and it's like you and feel it you know and to his credit malik notices that kind of thing when he rushes the footage he goes oh my god did you see that yeah it shook the the tripod let's keep it Right. That's the shot. Yeah. yeah. Where should and we so put it? Something... Doesn't matter. Just goes in the film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Right. And uh, and there's something so beautiful about that. He he does have a real sense of this is a special moment. And I think people lament that what maybe this is like a contrast thing where when you make a a 90 minute movie that's nothing but special moments, it comes off as incoherent, right? But if you have a narrative. And then you're, and then you're wise enough to slip in these special moments. Then it's something really special. We need to get Matt like up yeah. on the phone. Let's call him. Let's just tell him. <laughs> I'd love to yeah, talk to yeah, him yeah. and be like, yeah, "What the yeah. fuck are you doing, look, man?" Look, look, we need we can fix your whole problem here. You need you need us to come in yeah. and help you get a better story after you shoot. Yeah. You know, you know, I've never met the guy, but after seeing song to song, I really was just, just thought like, man, this guy is just like a senile adult baby because mm. uh, it's i mean don't even bother okay. it's excruciating to watch i'll see hidden life i've heard that one's good um when i yeah yeah it's fine but it's again the same technical style it is his worship of nature that i but i mean at the same time i could just rewatch this rewatch new world instead maybe that's mm -hmm. that's always what i should do if i want to see a film like this although i mean hidden life is interesting at least because even though it's taking place during, you know, World War Two or whatever, you know that he's filming it in 2019. And so you are seeing, you know, whatever it is, the Austrian countryside or something, uh, a modern version with in high definition. So that's interesting, you know, because there's plenty of nature in that. But Days of Heaven. I, actually, you know, the only thing that I wrote down was the, the winter marriage. That was the that was Because I, I loved it so much. I forgot. I forgot it was even in the movie. Here, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna make this side point because I guess it's something I've been like thinking about, but I'm like I guess I'm not articulating this well. But there's like this whole mm -hmm. branch of poets that were basically used nature as a symbol for God in their poetry. Like Edmund Spencer mm -hmm. is one of the more prolific ones. And me to me, Terrence Malick uses that like that's in his films the same thing. Like if he mm -hmm. if he believes in God, it is somehow represented as nature. And I think that's what I'm almost responding to in his films is that almost um, personification of a creator through nature. Because mm -hmm. it is it is something that's really really specific, like tonality wise. Like even something like McCabe and Miss Miller doesn't quite come to that level of adoration to nature um even though it also has great nature shots but i but i guess mm -hmm. if anything that's what i really like about malik's films is that i guess tone tonality approach he's clearly moved by nature yeah he he feels the you know the weight and the flow of the universe in you know the leaf that's blowing in the wind or whatever it is that he's shooting that's the nature shot so yeah, you can feel that. You can feel that he like appreciates like the pulse of life. So yeah, I could I couldn't agree more.
Which I think is hard to yeah. do as a filmmaker. Like, everybody's like, oh, New York's a character in this movie. But it's like, I think it's hard. It's almost easier to do a city as a character than just do, like, the landscapes and the sun as a character. Mm-hmm. But I think right. I think that's what, yeah, I think that's what he does. Um, I, I feel like a shot here that's amazing that kind of reminds me. Like, I guess I'm just kind of going through, like, shots I really love now. Um, but the train shot's probably one of the best ones that you see mm-hmm. where you got the where you got the, the train going overhead or going over the um, bridge and that's such a great mm-hmm. shot um, and then it also cuts to another great shot of all the people sitting on top of the train and it's like right. slightly tilted down yeah great um, I imagine a lot of these people being miserable but he he makes it seem like they're having the best time ever. Like it's just like everything just, there's so much like life and um, energy, like that party sequence, which you already kind of talked about. But for me, I couldn't help but just thinking about how great it would be to love, to love someone and live with them in this isolation and like what that would be Mm -hmm. like. And um, that's like your whole world and just kind of a cool utopia almost. Yeah. I think, Malik's like appreciation for for history and like those little things like I noticed a lot more of like just the authenticity of the era for this movie like all the old cars and all the of course all the outfits and all these like vagabonds who are trying to get work and there's just so much especially when they finally go to the city at the end when she drops off uh, her the, the little sister at the girls school it's so it's actually really meticulous in terms of, in the same way that McCabe Miss Miller is in sort of being historically accurate. Um, so yeah, I think his love of nature and then his like knowledge of history are, are really were a really great marriage for a while because um, I guess the last few movies have been very contemporary. But yeah, I mean, something I noticed this time was uh, the opening sequence not the not the archival photos of the credit sequence working in the coal coal factory or whatever it was yeah the coal factory yeah although it is cool that the last archival photo is of linda mann's the narrator oh that's a nice touch but but yeah in the coal factory and then he gets like it seems like he's getting fired by the coal job and then like he gets in in a fight with the employer and like hits him with a pipe and i maybe he killed him yeah that's unclear it's ambiguous it seems like he killed him because they run away but the thing i notice is we can't hear any of their convo like we hear like the steam engines in the coal mine and we hear nothing of what they say like not even a little bit and but we feel what's going on and that really struck me this time around because it kind of points in the direction that malik would go Um, which was, you know, making an entire movie where the dialogue is irrelevant. Because um, I would say some of the, like, the narration, even though it's it's comes off as silly and, like, not just an unreliable narrator, but kind of a, a purposely ignorant Americana. Do you thing. think that the narrator is, like, special needs? No, I think she's uneducated. That's just, like, some, some other people's takes on it, so I was just curious to what your thought Oh no, no. I think I think Linda Mann I think the reason that I don't remember the the little sister's name, the actress's name is Linda Manns. And I actually prefer her as a narrator to Sissy Spacek in Badlands. Because 
although they serve the exact same function, which is like this sort of not unreliable narrator, but very naive narrator. Linda Mann's like in her childlike way has like amazing insights and like crazy oversimplifications of what's happening that are actually like really beautiful. And I, I love her narration, but I also, I think like Mal, I'm kind of a sucker for that, that old Americana kind of way of talking and like oversimplify like is what it is. You know, I love that kind of stuff. It's like very satisfying to me in a weird way, in a way where it doesn't overthink everything like I do. I think that's why I like it. So yeah, and same thing with Malik's dialogue. You know, there's that sort of early Americana simplicity to it of like, well, that's just what we do. And there's, there's something about that, even though when I encounter it in person, I find it like so infuriating sometimes uh, because I overthink everything. But for some reason, when I hear Linda Manns do it in Days of Heaven, it's just the most charming thing in the world. So anyway, that's how I feel about it. No, I do not think she's special needs. I think... I think she's very intelligent, but uneducated. And so speaks at like a level that is simplistic. Right. I don't want to, I don't think she's, yeah, I don't want to oversimplify that this, this, this condition, but for me, like if you made an argument to me then said that she was autistic, I would, I would believe that because I think there are some, some tendencies. Now there's lots of different kinds of autism. I'm aware of that. Yes. But, um, but there are some things with the observations that she makes that, um, like, if that's the case, it's very underdone. It's not very obvious if that's the case. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of silly to even talk about it. That's why I was just curious what you thought. Because it is that read of just the simplicity of the way that she um, mm-hmm. describes everything. I can understand that take, but I don't, I don't share it. I think that she's, whether she's on the spectrum or not, I don't know. I think she's uneducated for sure, just based on her character and the way that that family lives. But... I think she's extremely perceptive and is also like emotionally perceptive to what's going on. And it, you know, if you're a certain point on the spectrum, emotional perception is not your strong point. Right. Right. Um, Which is exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that to, to the character's credit, I think that she does have a lot of really, although oversimplified, very um, kind of, well, like I said, charming, viewpoints into the emotional thing that's going on with with all three of the main characters the two men and the and the woman yeah uh i love the narration i don't think that she's particularly dumb i think she's perceptive honestly uh and just but oversimplifies it because that's kind of malik's thing i was just thinking of this film king of the hill which i watched recently that i think is very similar to this movie um, is that Soderbergh? Yeah, I think it is Soderbergh. I wonder. I haven't seen that one. King of the Hill. I just, I it's on Criterion. I got it at the library, and it's like based mm-hmm. in St. Louis, um, mm-hmm. which is I think the other reason that I watched it. But it, I guess it's similar where you have a kid narrator. I am kind of curious whose film do you think this is of our? I guess you could, I guess you could argue four main characters. Who, who is the movie really evolve, revolving around? I think most people would argue that Richard Gere is the main character, if only because he's the biggest star. But who is the movie revolving around? Yeah, like if we took... His sister wife. If we took the actors out. Okay. I agree. 
I think I think the sister wife is the object of desire for everyone. She's the Abby she's is the her name. I, I had to look it up because I couldn't remember. But yeah, Abby is her yeah. name. Yeah, sister wife. I mean, Richard Gere's name is like Bill, which they say once. What guess? You know? Guess what Sam Shepard's name is? Clive. They never mention it in the film. He's referred to as the okay. farmer. <laughs> right. That's what I call him. He's the farmer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's Linda Manz's name? Linda. Oh, nice. <laughs> that's okay. that's what IMDb says. Um, so I don't, I don't know. Uh, right, right. I think most people would argue Richard Gere is the main character that we're supposed to, you know, the classic like male archetype that we're supposed to relate to. But yeah, the sister wife, whatever her name is, is Abby. Uh, I'm just gonna call her. I'm gonna call her sister wife. Or just Abby. So the sister wife is the driving force of the whole narrative. Without her, the movie doesn't happen. Doesn't exist. But I still Lin, Linda is my favorite character. For sure. Although this time I will say that Sam Shepard gave her a run for her money because I did really sympathize with him this time around. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, he was great. I did some, a little research on this film. Richard Gere apparently was way down on the list for people that Terrence Malick wanted to do this film. Um, Hmm. I'm I'm curious what you think about this. Can you imagine this film with John Travolta? That, That apparently was Malick's number one pick for this film. Wow. I can because I think a lot of people couldn't have imagined it with Richard Gere at this point in his career. If you'd seen other stuff he was in, he was also like, I don't want to say like a pop guy like John Travolta was, but I think this was a, a switching gears for Richard Gere. <laughs> it was an accidental pun. So yeah, I, I mean, another thing with, another trope with Malik is he always goes for the, the classic male lead. You know, whether it's it's Richard Gere, it's Colin Farrell, it's Christian Bale, it's, you know, whatever, Fassbender, Gosling, Ben Affleck. I mean, just pick any one of his movies and they have, like, the generic white male actor. That's kind of his go-to. You know, he loves that, cla- again, a kind of a classic Americana thing of the male archetype. All right, I've, I've decided to start a new segment I'm calling Who Would You Prefer in This Film? Who Would You Prefer in This Film? Okay. All right. Um, who Would You Prefer in This Film? Hmm. Um and like my so basically if you could recast the main characters who would you who would who do you see in the film um giving you no warning that i'm going to do this segment but i just i thought it would be fun uh-huh. i haven't really thought about it either so just so you know okay um i would have preferred to see sam shepherd in this I think he, <laughs> he, uh, he should have been the main he should have played richard gear <laughs> okay yeah no i think he's perfectly cast as the farmer i don't know i'd have to i'd have to look up who were like no just like big male actors any any time warren Bates. any time period you could just pick anybody warren, anybody at any age no no you're, i'm gonna <laughs> say let's just take warren Beatty from mccabe and he plays Richard you know Gere's actually get both of them over here let's just have who, who is the who's the female lead in in, in mccabe miss miller what's her name julie, julie christie. christie yeah have them both come in i would say mm-hmm. think it could be better i mean i you know what i think i think they did a good job i would say that richard Gere was probably my least favorite of those main characters not that he was terrible in it but it was just I think he's good in the movie. He's, I like he him in the movie. he does a fine job. I'm not give, I just I don't know what it is about him, but like I don't like his character. I don't know if I'm supposed to or not, but like part of me just keeps thinking, well, if you just tell people that she's your girlfriend, then they won't make fun of you and you won't kill people by accident and get in fights. Um maybe well, just that's not Richard Gere's fault. That's Malik's writing. Yeah, but I'm I'm 
in the world of the movie, uh, it's it's Richard Gere's character's fault. It's not. I can't. I can't blame the writer. Right. The writer. So who? So who would you? Who would you recast? Um, I think what you. I think Warren Beatty's a, definitely a good trade-in for uh, the Richard Gere character. Mm-hmm. I th- I like thinking about who I would do like for, for now. Like who are the stars now that could pull this off? I really like oh. Roseman Pike, even though she's kind of old. To do this part now, I feel like she's been in a lot of stuff mm-hmm. recently. She could play Linda Manz's character. Um, yeah, but I mean, she's like, I think she's almost forty now. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. why it was a joke. Yeah. She could play the child. She cannot play the child. You know what? I'm gonna say, <laughs> I'm gonna say, I'm gonna go a little off the rails here okay. to answer this question. My okay. official answer: If I were to recast the two main characters of Richard Gere and the sister wife. <laughs> Abby. I'm going to say Zach Galligan and Phoebe Cates, the stars of the movie Gremlins. <laughs> okay. They're, they're the couple in Gremlins and Gremlins 2. Yeah. And I'm going to say they could have... They could They could have pulled really, it off. They could have milked this material. Interesting. That's my answer. You know what? I want to see Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman do this. That's what I. That's what I want to see. Ooh. See, I think that would be great. Ooh. I think they could have done it. I think Tom Cruise. Boy, would I do not. I think Tom Cruise would have been great in this. Nah. I do not want to see Nicole Kidman in this movie. <laughs> okay. I just don't. Okay. I don't believe <laughs> Nicole Kidman is never believable to me when she plays a poor person. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. You know what I yeah, mean? that's a good point. Um, I guess I was just thinking. I was just trying to think of like couples now that would make good, mm. make a good um, pick here. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, whatever. I guess that was my, that segment. My question is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. My question is, what does the science have to say? What does the science have to say? Oh, interesting. About this movie. The science was all over the barometer today, for sure, Huey. Mm-hmm. Um, I bet. Yeah. Yeah, because there's a lot of factors that go in. You know, we have an X here, a a colon there we have um equal signs on some pages we have negatives and we have pluses we have stars you know mm-hmm. it's all it's all over the place it's a different it's all over the place it's, yeah it's an interesting i don't know do you want to jump straight to the reviews are we already to that point um I, yeah I, I mean what else is there that neither of us really took notes on this movie because it's such a feel movie so it's like we talked about all know, the scenes uh, you wanted to talk about yeah, I think so. Really, the only thing that I even noted was like the coal scene and how there's no real dialogue and how that sort of sets a precedent for Malik's later stuff. And then my favorite thing this time around was the winter marriage montage. So yeah, that that's it. That's all I got. Um, and you know, we bitched about Malik's second half of his career for for, the for most minutes. of the yeah. What is that? Yeah. What is that? Um, what is that? Um, it's a Del Toro movie. I feel like they do a similar house. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's that movie called? It's like Red Velvet or something. I have no idea. I I guess I guess I love the house. Um, is all I'm saying. Uh, I thought it was thought it was great. I feel like it's oh the architecture of the farmhouse. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was like a yeah, house that I've been into before. So I, I I read it was shot in Canada. Um, hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, set in Texas, obviously, but shot in Canada. Hmm. Yeah, the the house is gorgeous. I love that farmhouse. Uh, um, but I guess I the only thing I wanted to add was just this movie 
is for visuals alone and i would say a lot of directors have stolen from this film i would yeah i would i would definitely say that that there's people reference this film and other stuff and um mm-hmm. yeah so if you're just like a film person in general i would say it's worth seeing um just for that um let's see if i can find this del toro movie before we move on oh here it is crimson 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 peak which i would say del oh. i would say del toro was trying to make a film like this and failed it, you know yeah. what every time you said del toro i thought you meant benicio benicio del toro uh, not guillermo not guillermo del, del toro uh, yeah yeah um wow crimson peak what a chunk of shit that movie is. i i would say it had its I, I don't see any visuals the house, the brother and sister. Come on, you got those two components there. Mm, that's it. <laughs> and then a lot of CGI blood. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. I couldn't. I saw. I'm. I mean, maybe years from now I'll revisit it, but I couldn't stand that fucking movie when I saw it. It was not a good film, but visually, I thought it was well done. Um, it could have been. It could have been better. Yeah, I only watched it because I like Tom Hiddleston. I think he's a, can be an interesting actor depending on the movies and. Okay. Yeah. Well, we can switch to reviews. I have um, one picked out um, just because we we liked it. So this is one that's really bad. This is called Days of Puke, mm-hmm. My Guts Out. <laughs> Days of Heaven is one of the most painfully boring and pointless films I have ever seen. In no way, shape, or form would I recommend it to anyone unless you're trying to put your kids to sleep or, God forbid, give someone an aneurysm if I could go back in time and do one thing, I would set a fire to the reels before they were sent to theaters. Why? Days of Heaven's plot is simple, but extremely vague. Log sequences devoid of dialogue compose much of the film. The characters are too shallow and ridiculously stupid to, <laughs> to relate with. The climax of the story does not not touch you. By the time your brain has worked so hard to figure out the plot, you just said the plot was yeah. easy to follow. Okay, alright. I'm, I'm going to go back in my reader voice. Figure out the plot and array of hidden metaphors that your ability to think is gone. The only things working are your eyes and unfortunately your ears. Who <laughs> must listen to the sound of Linda, the little girl in the story, who talks like a man. I am now oh my dumber God. for seeing this movie. Don't let it happen to you. That's um That's definitely true. They are they are dumber having written this review that is is the name of this reviewer if you want to follow all of squishy jelly's um, reviews this squishy (laughs) jelly is the reviewer here he wrote this in 2004 well i think this is a classic example of someone expecting a quote-unquote normal movie and getting a movie that experiments or tries different things that like we've talked about are ephemeral or you know fucks with tone and just being so angry that they can't get into that groove. I feel um, like a lot of his points are right, but I guess he doesn't he doesn't see the things that are good about it, which I would say is the problem. Right. Yeah. It's like maybe, you're right about watch some of Crimson these. Peak. Yeah, maybe he'll like Crimson Peak, who knows. It's definitely a more obvious film if if not equally like the straightforward. It's very it's yeah. straightforward at least. Or as uh, as Michael Hanukkah says, it's barrel down cinema where the the director points a gun at the audience and says this is what the plot is this is how you're supposed to interpret it actually okay, actually i, I don't it. know if crimson peak is really that straightforward okay do you know what crimson <laughs> peak is i haven't seen it in that long but i don't remember it being like okay. that kind of film i mean it's not like die hard or something i mean 
Crimson Peak is if Days of Heaven was directed by Tim Burton. That's actually a great take. That's a great take. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you, you nailed it. I think that probably is what Del Toro was thinking when he approached it. He's like, he's going he's like I'm going to pretend to be Tim Burton and direct this film. I'm going to draw mm-hmm. a bunch of crazy sketches and then make sure my hair looks weird. And then, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to call Helen Bohem Carter and Johnny Depp and get going. Uh-huh. Yeah, he was like, how can I make Days of Heaven and Sweeney Todd? <laughs> At the same time. You know, <laughs> I like I Sweeney Todd. I know a lot of people don't, but um, hot take. I'm a fan. Thought it was good. Wow. I can't stand... Something innately bothers me about CGI blood, mm. which, as you know, in Sweeney Todd and Crimson Peak, there's a lot of... Actually, I think I was disgusted... Just by like the openings, I think both movies open. They do with like yeah. follow, yeah. like following CGI blood. They do, yeah. They, I'm pretty sure you're right. And to me, it's just <laughs> like that was the problem. There's something aesthetically, I don't want to say grotesque because it's like supposed to be blood, and but there's something like aesthetically, like so bland, and like shiny and boring, about CGI blood to me. I don't know what it is. I can't explain it. But it, it, like, fundamentally bothers me. But not bothers me in the good way, where, like, a horror movie gets under your skin and that's what it's supposed to do. It bothers me in the, like, ah, oh, that's so fake. Why am I looking at this computer-generated blood? But that that's another story. That's for a different episode. No. <laughs> that will never happen, because I will never watch Crimson Peak. <laughs> Crimson Peak. Well, okay, next Again. episode, Crimson Peak and uh, Sweeney Todd. We're doing both of them the same episode. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've been trying to make up just um, different ways to do intro b- bits. So, are we re- the scientific review? Are you ready for science mm-hmm. or um, what was something else? Oh, do you think that this is Richard Gere's best film, or would you put something ahead of it? I literally would have to Google even what other Richard Gere movies are. Okay, that's kind of my um, point. It's his best film. I'm just gonna call it because I don't think mm-hmm. he's done anything like this to even mention. Like he's done some other popular. I remember he's films. in Mo- he's in Mothman Prophecies, which I which is a movie that although I haven't revisited in a long time, I liked when I was younger. It's the only thing I can think of. But yeah, you know he's very he's he's of his time. He's a he's an actor who. 70s, 80s, and 90s was uh, top of his game. He did Pretty Woman. But there's, there's a, I guess that's what he yeah, that's yeah. what mainly... And he did, like, Runaway Bride. I heard that Julia Roberts actually did that to someone. Um, apparently she is really not a great... I don't want to talk about Julia Roberts. Roberts. I don't know very much about her. Do you know anything about her? Nope. I just heard she really left someone at the altar like that, and so that's why she was in that film. Hilarious. Yeah. Okay. You're so funny. Well, I I've her. hit like a sore point for you. I mean, I have I have no strong feelings about her. I mean, me neither. I don't care. Um. So okay, I'm gonna give my rating on this movie. Okay, we're gonna do the, um, the I'll, I'll, do your your review system. If if you want to do the science first, that's fine. I don't care. You want me to start with science? I'm gonna give this movie, obviously, a cloud. <laughs> a cloud. <laughs> okay. Is this the no plus or minus? Is this not, no, just just a cloud. Just a cloud. Is this the panthetical review or I'm I'm saying it wrong. Uh, no. If we were, I was gonna say there was Pan a brief physics. moment where for what are you pataphysics? If the if the pataphysical <laughs> review, it was a brief moment where I was gonna do fa- uh, favorite kinds of fake blood. 
CGI being the worst. Oh, okay. But no, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do what's your favorite season? Oh, okay. So, see the seasons. Just to remind our, our viewers, <laughs> they, they, are you need to remind them before spring, seasons? Okay. Spring, summer, autumn, and snow. So what? Are... <laughs> You go by autumn and not fall, and you you, you just you call snow, winter snow. I said what I said. Okay, all right. So, what is your favorite season and why? And then, what season then do you give this movie? I feel like this is a tough question. Um, mm-hmm. um, all right. Well, I guess. Okay, I can. I guess I can start. Um, I feel like I'm going to give this movie a winter season. Winter is not my favorite season, but it's it's up there. I feel like I love every season for a different reason. Um, yes. Fall is usually one of my favorite seasons, but then every time spring comes around, I'm like, could be my favorite season. So I don't know. Winter is so good. definitely not number one because I love I love the way it looks. I love different parts of winter, but I if I could have one season forever, it would definitely not be winter. It, we're talking fall or spring for mm. sure. Um, so, and summer has never been my favorite season because it's just too hot. It's too hot. Get it out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think this also depends on where you live. Could be. Too. Yeah. Because, as you know, I've lived on the East Coast and the West Coast. Very different seasons. That's what I've of heard. the East Coast is... Why do you, yeah, why do you think East that is? is? Something to do with the equator. I don't understand. I don't know science. That's your thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I'm also going to give this movie a winter, but with a caveat, it's a California winter. Oh, interesting. Which is like very mild. It only gets to jacket weather. There's like a week in January where it's like the rainy season and that's it. Um, so a really mild California winter, which is super, a very comfortable winter. It's not extreme at all. Uh, and that's that's what this movie is to me. Not my favorite season, but still enjoyable nonetheless. Okay, I guess I'll switch to my personal... I guess that kind of is my personal and the scientific, scientific rating. Um, my personal is definitely... I'm just It's, it's really a plus. Um, I really was thinking it would be like a star range film going into it, but I would say... I try not to lump multiple directors as stars. I mean, sometimes they deserve it, but I would say New World is probably still a star for me, and I think that this mm-hmm. is just a little bit below that. I think it's in that plus range. Um, there's not, like, a lot I can criticize about the film um, that I wouldn't end up saying, well, I liked this about it, too. Um, but it's just... There are some things that just bother me when I watch it, would which would keep me from... But maybe I just need to turn the sound... But the music is lovely. I don't know if I could just get a version... Mm-hmm. I love the music. ...with less dialogue. Um, I guess I would like it more. I don't I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, just to re-watch. I guess initially I probably like enjoyed having a narrator and dialogue just to kind of make, make sense of things. Um, and the scientific rating is a little different. It's a plus cloud... Um, the, after a lot of, you know, as you guys know, the equal plus stars, yeah. it's, I mean, it's the, it is the main source that everyone uses to talk about scientific ratings, which are becoming more and more mm-hmm. prevalent in our culture since we released this, when we started releasing this podcast, people are just more mm-hmm. interested in how 
we can review things more scientifically. And there, the seminal influence of movie victory. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty much ubiquitous now. I mean, I'm pretty sure that yeah. that's why Bruce Springsteen and and President Obama started their podcast mm-hmm. was just that's what I was going to yeah, say. They they heard we were doing it and they were like, maybe we could do it too. You know, they were like, we should have more science. Yeah, yeah. I think they they probably will. You know, use more science in their stories in the future. I think that's that's coming. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't want to look like they're straight copying us, but I mean, we know. And the people that are listening to both the shows, I think, know, too. Um, But anyway, so, yeah, um, it is definitely a great film. And, you know, I do think with science, um, you know, maybe if I get, maybe I have an equation wrong, and I can, in the future, the equations get changed, and this turns into a star. But right now, it's that plus cloud, that cloud signifying the presence of nature being super prevalent in this film. And, you know, it's definitely a very strong plus. Um, mm. I love it. But I don't I don't know. I mean, having just seen The Passenger back, I don't know if I like, mm. I would, if I would even want to turn on The Passenger instead of this. I think, I know you will probably like The Passenger better. Well, it depends on my mood. I mean, I really, enjoy, I was actually, I should say, I was not particularly in the mood to watch this movie like all week mm. I put it off and I and then I watched it this morning before the podcast and it just just flew by completely swept up in it. yeah yeah I just I loved it um, I also enjoyed it so yeah and my daughter enjoyed thing. it so what does that say and my which I think is so cool yeah. that it, it grabbed a two-year an almost two-year-old's attention for 20 minutes that's so great um and it shows the power of, of Malik's hand when he's actually like at the top of his game. Alright. Well that's that's the episode. Oh I you haven't I mean, given your per- have not, you haven't I, done a personal rating yet. I don't know if you want it. Yeah, I gave it a cloud. Oh you gave that's that's your whole personal rating, just a cloud? That's it. You're not gonna straight up cloud. Nothing else. All right. No frills. Alright. This is and based <sighs> completely on that anecdote that I just said, this movie is pure mood and even when I thought I wasn't in the mood for it, as soon as I put it on and that scene with the coal miner where there's like no dialogue, but you still get all the visual information and the emotional thing. You still get what's going on. As soon as that scene happened, I was I was in. I was ready to watch the whole thing. Um, so to me, it is a pure cloud. And we all know what that means with the rating system. Uh, so I feel like I don't have to explain yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I was thinking of going really off the rails. For the next movie and i'm not going to but i want to put this out there that at some point i want to watch one of my all-time favorite movies which is as you know gremlins 2 the new batch by joe dante the great joe dante. i have actually seen it but i, I mean yeah you've seen uh, gremlins I, 2? I watched both of them yeah it's a masterpiece i mean <laughs> if you say so <laughs> I think I like Gremlins one I would actually, better, to be honest. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, because I definitely don't. Gremlins one. I I would be the story. I would be interested in. Phoebe Cates tells doing is a, so funny. Like I just so funny. 
There's a reference to that. But in it Gremlins doesn't too. land the same because she knows it's funny this time. The first time she does it, I don't think I she know. she's playing it for drama, and it's just. But it doesn't insane. matter because the rest of Gremlins Two is absolutely hilarious. Okay, all right, I'll let you finish talking well, about Gremlins. Anyway, I'm not going to do that. Okay, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But at some point, I would like to. Like I know you want to do like Shakespeare's Macbeth. You know, so yeah. let's just make a deal. If you if if you, if you do Macbeth, I want to do a double feature of Gremlins and Gremlins Two: The New Batch by Joe Dante. I think that would be fun. Okay, yeah, I'm fine with that. Sometime in I'm the future, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I think we have to do more now, of just fun stuff that's more pop culture. Yeah. It can't be just all movies that Great seem movies. like schoolwork to most people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm gonna do a curveball. We've done a bunch of classics. Okay recently so i want to do a contemporary movie and a movie that i really like is by olivier assayas i think i'm saying that right called personal shopper it's on criterion uh it might be on the channel i'm not sure and yeah personal shopper i think that's my that's my pick oh 2016 okay yeah i had no idea which movie i was gonna do and then I just like looked on my computer for stuff that I already have downloaded, and I have not watched that in a long time, so that's my pick. Okay, I'm fine with it. I really do want to do, I think that movie, what's like No Man's Land, or am I always saying that wrong? I feel like... Oh, no, Nomad Nomadland. Land. I, re- I yeah. really do. Yeah. Ma- maybe next time we'll do that. I feel like I'm. it might just okay. encourage me enough to watch it. I've heard it's good. I just haven't like sat down to watch yeah. it. Um, but I like doing more... Well, that's another ones. one that... Yeah. That's a Nomad Land. That's fine. Um, maybe, we'll but I'd see. like to. If we do that, maybe we could also do a double feature there because I've been meaning to see the the Rider by Chloe Zhao for years. Yeah. When it came out, when it came out, like three people whose opinions on movies that I generally will take, like if they recommend it, I will see it whether I like it or not. Um, they were all like, "Oh, you have to see the Rider. It's great." So it's been on my list basically since whenever it came out. And now that director has a new movie, which is Nomadland. Uh, so, yeah, I would love to watch both. Should we try actually. to do those in one episode together, you think, or do two episodes? I think we, since we neither of us have seen either one, I think we'll have to make that decision after actually watching them. <laughs> okay, you know? okay. Like, are they even comparable? Are they totally different movies? You know? Okay, we both um, need to just watch those in the next couple of weeks, I think, and... Um... Yeah. And then we can decide. Um, but yeah, I like the idea of doing stuff that's um, newer. It doesn't all have to be old classics, mm-hmm. even though I have kind of figured out that, like, I think I really do love um, early American cinema almost more. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you definitely have watched more and like more films that are from different countries than I've even seen. So I feel like that's kind of interesting, like, our are two different takes. I was just thinking about it, listening to right. McCabe, Miss Miller. I feel like I am kind of rooted in kind of early American cinema is like what I'm mm-hmm. looking at when I see films. and Which is great stuff. I mean, it also, it influenced the rest of the world. But it is just you know, different. From French New Wave or something. Yeah. You know, French New Wave was even inspired by American movies. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, the last three things we did were all, American from the 70s. McCabe, McCabe, Miss Miller, Passenger, and uh, this one, Days of Heaven. And I mean, technically, Antonio 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 
is an Italian director, but he did three movies in English. It's considered an American movie. Anyway. Um, Could be one of the best yeah. periods in cinema, really, the 1970s. Uh, American, the, the, American, the 70s, and yeah, the 70s in general, really. Really just hit. Just an amazing decade. Um, but yeah. Um, no, but the, I was just saying that to but, be like, I feel like my sensibilities, I feel like... Um, what you like in films is almost you could almost make the analogy to just like your taste profile and i feel like when you know what to expect when you're eating something or drinking something that kind of informs how you feel about it it's, it's the same reason why like coffee's an acquired taste and like beer's an acquired taste mm. i was thinking about it today how much i've really enjoyed this um anheuser-busch has come out with a non-alcoholic beer and i really like it but I've always liked Budweiser, even though, you know, people have whatever opinions about beer. But it is kind of like wherever you grow up and what you end up drinking, mm -hmm. they end up kind of being what you compare everything else to. And I was just like thinking about yeah. that. It's like, oh, that's kind of like me and films. And I'm like, I'm making these comparisons even on a, um, a, a, su a subconscious level. And so mm -hmm. I feel like I'm definitely interested in doing different stuff to kind of break the way that I'm like looking at films really right so so you're saying that to you the the new hollywood americana in the 70s era which is so great is a is a nice cool glass of budweiser yeah it kind of is for me because it's kind of like it's it's the classic it's the, the go-to it's what i think of when i think of a great film it's and it's almost like the mm -hmm. the right length too i feel like for whatever reason the two hour yeah. mark has always been to me like the right time for a movie if it gets too long it becomes a problem too short it's a problem but like really that hour and 45 minutes to two hours long yeah exactly so are you saying that you want to branch out into like a he a heineken or a sapporo i'm just saying like that i want to like think about films more like that where instead of being like oh it i either like it or i don't because i'm comparing it to something else be like okay what is this flavor profile let me understand what this flavor profile is mm -hmm on, on mm -hmm. an aesthetic level, you know, and not really um, focus on my personal emotions to to it, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's great. I mean, one, for some reason that makes me think, which I may have brought up before, but one director that I'd like to introduce you to at some point is the films of Wong Kar Wai, who was a Hong Kong director in the, mostly in the 90s, is like when he really hit his streak. And, I mean, that's just a whole world, you know. So in terms of a palette, that's someone who I'm always excited when somebody, like, hasn't seen a one car wide movie. It's like, oh, you get to enter a whole new world. It's like going, it's like traveling to somewhere you've never been or, you know, or trying a new type of cuisine that you just happen to never get around to. You know, it's, uh, it's like you said, it's its own flavor palette. Yeah, I mean, we could do more stuff like that. Personal Shopper is definitely a weird one. Okay. It definitely... Well, I don't know very much about it. Don't really tell me. I, I think I want to go in. I, I want to go in... I will just say it's... Knowing very little. It's by a French director, but the movie's in English. That's it. Okay. That's all I'll say. All right. Most of his movies are French, but not this one. Okay. But yeah. All right. It's, so, Personal uh, Shopper, if you want to cool. watch along or, you know, to, uh, you know so that you're informed when mm -hmm. we're talking about this at great length and probably and uh -huh. probably other things too or maybe not maybe 
you know, <laughs> we'll both rewatch it and be like, eh, whatever. whatever. And then it'll be a short It would episode. be funny if, like, we had, like, five or ten minute episodes when, when we really don't have anything to say, to so. say about a film. Just like, all right, you know. I, 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 if Malik didn't have such a weird place in the history of cinema, I think this episode could have been much shorter. If we were just talking about the film, 20 minutes to half an hour yeah. tops. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. But you almost can't talk about it. It's sort of like... You know, we bring up David Foster Wallace sometimes, and it's like you almost can't talk about his work without the retroactive effect of the suicide. Yeah. And it's the same thing with Malick. It's almost like you can't talk about his any movie, no matter how much you like it, without the retroactive effect of his, like, artistic suicide of uh, completely not caring what the audience thinks anymore. Makes you want to ask the question, should Malick have just never made another film? Maybe Weezer should have just after New should World. have stopped making albums, you know, after the Pinkerton, just call it a day. Uh-huh. Maybe Wallace yeah. uh, should have just stayed on his medication. That's really my only criticism there. Don't 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 right. if you're the if the medication's working. Don't there's no no reason to stop. No reason to stop. Um, but mm-hmm. um, anyway, I digress. I feel like I guess my my with Wallace, I'm like he didn't really do anything wrong. Um, except think that he was like better and enough to get off his medication which is 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 something dangerous classic mistake yeah yeah but yeah i only brought that up because the understanding someone's career in retrospect it is kind of frustrating though it's almost like i would rather see this art live for on its own i I think i do try to do that when i watch anything i try not to think about the artist and it's kind of hard not to the biography right yeah. It is, and it's tricky, especially with Malik, because there was such reverence for his stuff up to a point. I think knowing and... how little Days of Heaven was planned definitely affected how I felt about it once I learned like how little you know it was written. You know, it just it did affect my reverence for it. I think a little bit. It's almost like knowing too much yeah. is a bad thing in that case. Oh yeah, I'm a firm believer that having too much context. Even though, like, a little bit can make certain things about a, piece, a work of art, like, that much sweeter and, like, more nuanced, there's definitely a tipping point where having this, like, super perspective over everything just ruins it, just obliterates your ability to appreciate it anymore. It's like context outweighs the content at some point. So, yeah, that's why I'm not going to tell you anything about Personal Shopper. All right. I feel like I wanted to introduce a new segment where we plug things at the end of the show to be like more like other podcasts. So I don't know if you have anything you want to plug um, specifically, um, but or I guess I could start with plugging things. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I'm going to plug making your own peanut butter at home. You know, it's easy enough to do. Get a food processor, buy the peanuts. I, I introduced some sesame seeds into my peanut butter recently. Also, you know, a big fan of the non-alcoholic Budweiser um, that I've, I've recently discovered. I think that that's great. Um, I've listened to, I listened to another movie podcast, and I I thought that these hosts were admirable. They're doing a, their podcast is called Lost in the Criterion, and they are watching every Criterion movie, and um, I thought that was like really admirable to try to do. And so I'm plugging their podcast. It's called Lost in the Criterion. Um, all right, that's that's all I got. Wow. Uh, I am going to plug 
Uh, I'm gonna tell people don't make your own peanut butter. <laughs> what? Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna plug Trader Joe's sunflower seed spread. I'm not sure why they don't call it sunflower butter. There must be some technical reason for that. But get yourself out there and go to the Trader Joe's and get yourself some sunflower seed spread. You can eat it with bananas. You can eat it with apples. You can put it on a sandwich. Let me tell you, boy, is it great. Uh, I'm also going to plug an author who is dead named Fernando Pessoa. Uh, One of my favorite authors I've discovered in recent years. His most famous book is Book of Disquiet. But, fun fact, he wrote under many different names. And they discovered after he died that he was like these four different poets who had all been published in different places systematically and they're like oh my god this is all the same guy totally different styles so i'm just going to plug trader joe's sunflower seed spread and fernando pessoa literally anything he wrote just pick it up okay great those sound like great plugs yeah Uh, i mean and personal shopper (laughs) and personal shopper okay yeah all right well that's the that's the end of the show um go that's it Go. It's over now. It's over. All right. All right. right. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.